I don't know. You know something, Mark? Let's just go because I don't know if it's going to go. Uh, we're recording on Zoom, so we may have to just record it and put it live on. Uh, we'll put it on YouTube. Again, there's a problem with this. You know? But you guys were going to put it on YouTube anyway, right? Yes. Yeah, we always do put it on YouTube. Yeah. It just it keeps just saying uh, preparing for for um, for uh, Facebook Live, and it's well, like, it might just take a, a few seconds, I guess, to get it ready. Usually it goes right, you know, it loads right up. But we could mock, we could record, and then when it hopefully it'll load, and you know, we'll be ready to go. And I could put it. I'm gonna also put it on YouTube. So. All right, you ready then? Yeah, you ready to go? Let's go. Let's do it. All right, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host, my co-host, and partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's going on? I wish I had more credentials as an, an engineer because we're having problems with this engineering part of this bullshit, you know? <laughs> like Tom Delgado, I know he does his own editing. He does everything. He's a, he's a one-man band. Well, that's okay. So let's introduce our uh, He's a hilarious comedian. Um, he's also a tour guide here in New York City. He's, he's got a law degree. And he's just returned from Mount Everest, folks. Climbing Mount Everest for the that's third right. time. Put your hands yeah. together for Tom Delgado. Folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, quick Dude, correction. Like one of those guys that, yeah. that uh, just got back. Yeah, just got done. It was actually my third time this year climbing it. I just wanted to correct you. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sometimes you just get to the bottom and you just, you know what, I'm just going to climb it again, right? Yeah, it was easier than I thought. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it twice while I'm here. So I was, you, so did, you did you acclimatize? I did. I acclimatized immediately. Once I got there, as soon as I got off the plane, I was like, ah, I feel good. And I just walked. <laughs> well, you could you could be a, an oceanographer. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be my next trip, I think. I'm going to head to, the, you know. The... Name, uh, Jacques Cousteau's uh, grandson is, uh, has his own show now. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> no, that's you. All right. Oh, sure, sure. I'll claim that Jacques Cousteau is my grandfather. <laughs> I'm trying to th I'm yeah, thinking, look at this. I'm thinking of all the things that you look like that are, or I'm, also to be um, a track star. I feel like I look like a uh, like a colonist, like an early American colonist with this hair just coming out from the sides like this. Yeah. Okay. You do marathons. You do marathons. <laughs> he, should, he should get his own TV show, man. He could go any, anywhere in the world and do a tour. You ever watch his tours on YouTube? No, I want to see. I want to talk to you about that. Oh, man, he's pretty damn knowledgeable. He knows everything about the city. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what I do, about, I guess. Tell us about this job of yours. I'm fascinated so, by it. All right. So uh, I guess a few years ago, so I left law, you were talking about the law degree. I left law uh, like seven years ago and I, uh, and I had a bunch of savings and I uh, blew through all my savings, of course. And, uh, and then I was, and then it was a question of what I had to do for money. Well, I had to do something for money. So I uh, had some friends who were, who were comedians actually, who were tour guides and they're like, you should do this tour guiding thing. So I just started doing the tour guiding. I took the test, which was a joke. I think it's just basically to test if you're a conscious human being. And then, uh, and then I became a tour guide and, uh, you know, I've been doing that for a few years and I don't know, I just kind of love history. So I'm always reading a book about New York and just kind of doing that. And, uh, and I don't do it as much guiding as much anymore, but, uh, but I make these videos now on YouTube, my YouTube page, Tom DNYC. And, uh, yeah, I just make these like different things. I visit businesses. I do walks around the city and just kind of talk about New York. It's pretty cool. You get a pretty cool. damn big audience too. Uh, it's growing. It's growing. Actually, we were talking about this before you started recording, but it, one of the, one of the, like, if only 
one of the few nice things about this like whole quarantine is that you have all this time to kind of dedicate to something you've been putting off. And for me, that was just the videos and editing and just making them more often and being more, you know, uh, I don't know, more committed to it. So that's helped. And it's grown. Yeah, it's grown a little bit. That's pretty amazing. You know, I, I saw the other day you did a tour of Greenwich Village and you had 57,000 uh, views. Uh, yeah, that, I think it was the Midtown one's gotten the most. It's, uh, oh, look, we're streaming live on YouTube. Speaking of, look at that. I'm, putting, I'm trying to put it up right now because obviously um, it's not going to uh, stream on uh, Facebook. So I'm putting it on YouTube live. But yeah, no, I, I did this, the, the whole, uh, I did the a video of Midtown. I got a few, I don't know. Speaking of, look at that. I'm trying to put it up. I can hear you through the screen, Bill. Facebook, so I'm putting it on YouTube live. Are we are we gonna listen to the last 15 minutes? <laughs> no, we're good. We're good now. It was. It's still. Uh, you know what? What technical bullshit? Anyway, you know, there's a million. There's a million other things you could do too. I mean, you ever think of doing? You and I could do a homicide tour of New York City. We yes, we could. We actually. So me, I don't know if you knew this, Mark, but me and Bill actually did a video together. Uh-huh. We did a video about crime in New York. Obviously, Bill came from the, uh, the angle of uh, having worked as a homicide detective for 27 years, I remember. That's right, that's right. And then uh, I came from it at like a historical angle and pointed out different things around the city. So we walked around together. It was, pretty, it was pretty great. It was good because we were at Umberto's Clam Bar. That's no longer, right? Yeah, Umberto's Clam House moved. Yeah. And, we, and, then, uh, and then we went up to his precinct. The, uh, what was it? What's the your precinct? Three. I showed three, that's right. That's and then right. I showed him Rayo's where the, where the uh, they had that murder inside Rayo's that time, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We drove around. It was great. Bill, uh, Bill, you got to flash his badge. It was pretty <laughs> impressive to watch him flash his badge at people. He was trying to flash his tour guide badge. It didn't do much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was good. It was, it was a good. It was a good one. You have to watch that, Mark. We'll we'll have to do one together. Yeah. yeah I'm I'm fascinated by this uh, the tour guide. Is it a walking? Uh, well, first of all. Are you doing it now, the walking ones? Is anybody? Not, not really. I've had a couple of people reach out for like private stuff and I just, I'll meet them, meet up with them. And those usually pay better and they're, they're, they're more fun to do. And, uh, but they become less, less frequently. And I'll do those now if people reach out to me and stuff, but, uh, but no, not regularly. It's good though. You know, you, you socially distance, you wear your mask, you do all that stuff and then you just do the tour and it's, it's fine. Like but it's, it's just not as often as you need it to be. Oh, yeah, Most yeah, yeah. of the money in tour guiding tips, or you get a set fee? Well, it, in those, it's a set fee, and then people tip what they want. But one of the ways I've been making money is I've been doing virtual tours during, uh, during the pandemic. So this one woman I know who, uh, who has a pretty big following on YouTube, she does these live virtual tours of the city. And uh, she gets like, you know, 700 people in there watching live, and, uh, and people will tip. And that's how I've been making a lot of my money during, during quarantine, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a definitely a, a useful, um, useful trait to have, man. Yeah. And it's cool because people from all over the world who love to be in New York, who love to see what's happening here can just watch and just be like, Oh, look at that. That's there's the Empire State Building. There's the whatever. Look how empty well, it is. Especially now you have a yeah. lot of people that um, are curious. But also too, they, they might be away. Right. They're away as well. You know, and they're like, well, let's see what the city's like. You know what? Let's just check this out. And, um, so this is a the, the tour that you used to do or that you do you can't really you do uh that's a walking tour or is it on a bus i uh, no, no i did walking stuff i did walking stuff and i do it i do it in like addition to like you know commercials and acting stuff and and auditioning and stand up it was just one of the things that i did 
some years it would pay for more of my life than others. Uh, and right now, actually, I'm doing that, the tour guiding stuff, and it's a walking, private stuff, and the virtual stuff I'm telling you as well. But uh, I'm also writing for a, a podcast uh, that's coming out, I guess, in the winter, and just trying to juggle everything, man, just trying to stay afloat. But if, I, I'm, I'm so I'm fascinated by the, it's, are you meeting people on a certain, like, because you can't really, can you cover the whole city in one shot? No, absolutely not. I mean, you could spend like of the city. Well, it depends. I mean, it depends if you're doing a private one, people will ask you like, Oh, I really, I really love uh, architecture. So you just map out like, okay, well, these are some cool buildings that cover this, the, like the, the spectrum of different architectural styles and you move from one place to a place. It also depends on how much time you have. You know, if they're like, I have eight hours in the city, uh, I want to do a, a, you know, show me what you can. And you just put together like, all right, I'll show you all the highlights. If they want to see a specific neighborhood, sometimes people will be like, show me, you know, Queens or show me something in Queens or show me something here. You're like, all right, well, you just pick something and you, and you do it that way. Uh, that's when you do it private. If you do it for a company, they tell you what to do. Okay. I did it once. Uh, it was by accident. I was driving a car service and I had um, the guy star, like more, I think it was Maurice star or Kent. One of these, star, he was a back, uh, new kids on the block manager. Oh, wow. One of them. One of the brothers, one of the the guy, the groups had a brother, a younger brother. Knight. I had him and the the manager in the car with me, and he wanted to entertain the kid. So he was like, "Take us to some places." And I, you know, I'm from New York, but to me, I'm looking at this kid in the back. He's like 12 years old. I'm like, "Who wants to see buildings and shit like that?" So <laughs> I took him. I took him through um, uh, where the Hoos used to be on uh, 11th Avenue and 26th Street. Mm-hmm. And we went up and down because back, back then, 26, 27th Street, 28th Street, you could see prostitutes during the day, street walkers, and just go down and, you know, talk to them. I'd pull over and say, hey, say hi, say hi to the kid, you know, tell me your name. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd go to another one, and he, he was bugging the kid. And then we went down to Village. And uh, back then, you know, like it was an unusual place because you could, you could see, like, openly, you know, gay gay people affectionate which wasn't that was like located in that area so we went there we went to some of these cool stores in the village I, I, uh he got a watch uh with the two faces on it and then the guy gave me a hundred dollar tip man that's great that's what i, I remember that's exactly what you do like so one time i did a i did a tour for one of the richest men in europe he's worth like five billion dollars or something we rode around in a limo for a few hours the guy gave me 200 bucks i was like well it's technically not that much to you but uh, i'll take it <laughs> you know i was like you could do better than 200 bucks buddy you're worth five billion dollars <laughs> so i really think it was lira 200 lira yeah right exactly dude we take dollars here buddy come on cough it up now, do, do you study up on the city to know all these little uh fat little fitbits yeah man I, I i'm always reading i'm always reading more stuff and always like uh researching more stuff i'm always i'm always reading something about about new york i guess just to kind of you know, learn more about it. And, and history generally has always been interesting to me. Um, I've always liked to read and, and write. And so that's why I went to freaking law school. I shouldn't have done that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I almost, I was almost a history major and I, uh, yeah, I always hated math. So here I am, you know, you know I'm fascinated by the area downtown, uh, that five corners where they made five the, points. Yeah. Five points. Yeah. Where yeah. They made the gangs in New York. Yeah. That's Chinatown now. Yeah, you know, I guess you have to, that's an interesting area. People might, should probably want to know about that when they come, right? Don't they? Oh yeah, well, you're in law enforcement. You should, you should definitely know about the Five Points. I mean, the Five Points was like one of the most notorious slums in the history of the United States. I mean, the movie Gangs of New York, 
was, uh, was based on the five points. And what's interesting, because as a cop, you should know that back then, one of the things that cops did for extra money was, was, do, was take people slumming. So like rich people who wanted to see this crazy place, but were too scared to go by themselves would pay cops to basically be tour guides for them. Yeah, and they showed that in the movie. You know, yeah, so exactly. They, John C. Riley was that guy. He was the, he was the police they, officer. Watch. They, did that, they did that after 9-11. A lot of celebrities came down to ground zero. Oh, really? And, yeah, captains and above would give them tours of the devastation that was ground zero. Were they, were they getting paid for that, though? No, it was just like yeah. a favor they did for like right. celebrities, you know, that wanted to see what it looked like down there. And right. They, a lot of people, a lot of, I heard a lot of them got really, really upset, you know, on the tour. You know, the, I'm they, sure that's got to be pretty horrifying to see. Just seeing it. Yeah. So that, that sort of reminds me, you know, history always repeats itself, maybe in a different form, you know. Yeah, right, right. I guess the difference was back in that day, like the, the police was like super corrupt in like the 1800s. So oh, they yeah. would literally, they were literally like, here, give me a hundred bucks and I'll walk you around, you know. Well, it was the whole thing with Tammany Hall, you know, yes. the of New York City. And the politicians were so corrupt. They actually right. to sell positions on the New York City Police Department. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Promotions too. Yeah, yeah they would give they would appoint they would give positions to people for supporting them and for for basically being their cronies, you know. That's how you got on. That's how Bill got on. Yeah, that's how I got on. Yeah, from bartender to you know police sergeant. From bartender in 1870 to police sergeant. They'd come here and they'd have some money and they'd give it and they'd get a job. The Irish guys would get a job as a cop. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, historically, I worked at the one of the most famous bars in the city. I was a bartender at Pete's Tavern on. 18th. That's right. You remember you telling me that? And it was, uh, well, they say the oldest original bar. It was opened in 1864, and they had a lot of that Tammany Hall because Tammany Hall was right up the street on Irving. Place. Right. Right. And the politicians from Tammany Hall used to come into Pete's Tavern, you know, and it was a speakeasy during Prohibition. Yeah, uh, it was a flower day. shop. Yeah, it was, it was a, a flower shop, exactly. Yeah. And they said even they had these big doors, horses would actually come into the bar. You know, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a gin and tonic. <laughs> that was a pretty good horse there, Bill. Nice work. <laughs> I'm a gin and whatever this guy wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just Give the horse what he wants. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, you're right. Copper, the show Copper is about all that. There's yeah. On Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a cool, interesting history with police, too, in New York. Like, they started out, uh, there was two police forces in New York at one point. Did you know yeah. that? Yeah. Like, one that was created by the city, and then the state created one, and then they had a huge brawl, pretty much a battle at City Hall that the actual state-created police force ended up winning. It sounds like now uh, with Cuomo and de Blasio. <laughs> yeah. State police in New York. Well, now, after the riots, you don't see the state police within 50 miles of New York City anymore. Sure. Cuomo, Cuomo doesn't want anything getting on him, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing, man. Holy Lord, what's going on right now? It's, it's, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, you talk about the history of New York City, too. The firemen used to get in fights with each yes. other over who would put out the fire. Right, right. Because you know, there was no, like, boundaries delineated. So right. They would get to the fire and be like, it's all fire. No, it's your fire. And they'd get in big brawls. And they would actually recruit firemen who could fight. Like, that was one of the things that they would recruit. Like, yo, this guy can really, this guy can really throw down. Let's get him on the fire squad so he can just beat the crap out of people. That's exactly what they would do. Well, they would get, they would get paid for saving the building by the, by the landlord. Right, right. So they were, it was actually like private. So they were getting paid. And so they would basically battle it out to see who got these jobs. If you could save the building, the landlord would tip you. Also, yeah. They used to steal whatever they could. Yes. 
So they, they made out on both ends. And they were, there were street gangs. Yeah. Well, B- Bill has that joke. You told me that one joke, Bill. You know, the, the, what was that joke you told me? The Which Batman one? joke? The Batman joke? The Batman, what, what do, uh, what do the... What oh. do the <laughs> has he told you this joke, Mark? You no, your, friend, that. your friend told that joke. Uh, that was like the... What was it, uh, oh, yeah. What do uh, Batman and the fire department um, have in common? They won't leave in an apartment without Robin. <laughs> <laughs> they, won't go, they won't go anywhere without Robin. Five and hate us already. Now they're going to get some hate mail, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about it. Bill, Bill, Bill made it. Everyone, everyone get mad at Bill. Okay, get back to me. What's your favorite part of the city to give a tour in? I don't know. It depends, I guess. I love the history of, of all this, the neighborhoods and all that. I think, I think like Greenwich Village has such an incredible history. Uh, it's like really pretty and uh, it's, it's easy to walk around. I love walking across the bridge. That's always kind of nice. I love Central yeah. Park. Like these places are all just like, it's kind of like a joke when you show up, you're like, this is what I have to do for a job. I'm just walking around with people who've never been here in a, like amazing place and just talk to them. But even you know, Greenwich Village has a great history with the music. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, uh, Gertie's Folk City. Oh yeah, yeah, Gertie's Folk. All that's but, that, but, but that's not, just not music. there anymore. But that With was everything. Right to that McDonald's there, right? Yeah. On West Third. Yep. But it's not yeah. just music. They have, they have. I mean, they have painting. They have, uh, you know, acting. All every anything cultural in New York City has gone through, you know, Greenwich Village in yeah, some way. Yeah, it was the Bohemian place well, to live, right? Yeah. I was friends with a guy down uh, when I was performing a lot in the Village. And he used to do uh, jazz tours. Yeah, yeah. So he'd bring, uh, he'd always stop by the Boston Comedy Club, which then was uh, the Comedy Village. But he'd, he'd stop by because there was, there was a jazz club next door. And he'd bring the people inside, come out for a cigarette, and we'd bullshit. And I got to know the guy pretty good. And that's what he used to do. He used to bring people to uh, all the jazz bars down there. Yeah. And get them in and uh, seated and situated and... Yeah, that, there's one. still a bunch. There's still a bunch of jazz clubs. I'm not a huge jazz guy, though. I don't really like jazz that much. Does that make me crazy? Yeah, but, nah. My father loved jazz, man. I, I don't get it. My father used to bring me to these places to listen to jazz. And as a kid, listening to jazz fucks you up. because it's Yeah. Oh, I'm over <laughs> well, here. It's all improvisation, you know? It's yeah, improvisation. I, it's so weird because every time I hear jazz, I, I feel like I'm like shopping for pants at Macy's or something. You know, it's like. It's just like background. Right, 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 it's like right. background noise, you know. Somebody, but then, but then there's bands that integrate jazz into their rock and roll, and it makes yeah. the Allman Brothers, you know, sure. Marshall yeah, Tucker, like Steely they Dan. integrated jazz into country, you know, country rock, and it it sounds great. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think it. I think you're right. I don't know what it is. I, I feel like that's a super unpopular stance that I just took. So I, I, I we'll both get hate mail. No, people yeah. act as if they love jazz because it's like groovy to like jazz i used a 60s word there you see that i was trying to go on a tour to <laughs> want to, to listen to jazz the word from the 60s when you were a kid you shouldn't listen to jazz because you, you're trying to develop rhythm and, and and uh you know try to guess what the next word to a song is when you're a kid that's how your brain works that's why you have lullabies and now you're listening to jazz and it fucks up your brain it's no, that it's a PSA right here, parents. Everyone, don't listen. Don't have your kids listen to jazz, or you're a bad parent. When my, when my son was in the womb, when we being born, we were playing a uh, Pat Metheny. You know. Oh, okay. Jazz, well, there you go. very melodic jazz guitars. So right. Maybe somebody tried to <laughs> somebody tried to turn me on to jazz. They gave me um, the Miles Davis. It's like a five CD thing where 
he starts out and then uh, creating this thing and then they keep playing it every night, the thing, and it builds up and it built for like a year, I think. And, you know, I, you know, he's like, dude, this is going to turn your life around. Mm-hmm. And it did nothing for me, man. I couldn't believe it, it was like, I get it. I understand. It's almost like watching somebody develop their 45 minutes of comedy, but it's not comedy. It's jazz. <laughs> that's a, that's a ringing endorsement right there. Yeah. It's not for me. God bless you. If you like it, I don't like country music either. So there you go. How, you guys, you guys ever talk about music on this podcast? Now, are we, is this a first? Yeah. It pretty well, we talk about it. Bill's music because Bill's always singing. Yeah. Oh, do you play music on this podcast, Bill? No, no, I never play music. Oh, sometimes I'll sing a song just to goof around, you know. And Bill used to sing in a band. Yeah, I played guitar with Tom on that the episode we did, right? Yeah, we played, we played some guitar together. We jammed. Yeah. We so, jammed to some Bob Dylan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no big deal. I play guitar, too. Nice plug. Nice work, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll, I got the check in the mail to get you with that. Uh-huh. You got to be multi-talented in this world of comedy, you know? I know, man. I know. It's a crazy, it's a crazy grind right now, huh? Especially with no stand-up going on. I just did a show a couple of weeks ago in Central Park, but I haven't, I didn't do anything for two months before that. You know. Well, those shows in the park are very odd because it's there's no energy like bottled up. It's it's all dissipated. You know, people are over there like you know throwing to the frisbee or like what am I yeah. doing? I feel like you're yeah. you feel like you're talking to nobody a little bit, and then people laugh obviously, but you don't feel it as much yeah. as the performer. Yeah. It's everything. It's so weird right now. And it's like, um, anything, it's not, it's not, I don't know what it is, but it's not, it's nothing that we're used to, but I'm so excited about just doing it that. Yes. I don't really think about it. You're right. You're right. Think about the obstacles that I just, you know, if you haven't run in a while, do you really care whether you got to run to the beach or on gravel or with, you know, shoes on? No. You got to run. I agree. It's it's great to get out there, and it, it's it's my nice. Friends again, mm-hmm. you know, seeing my friends again, getting the chance to do the jokes that I've written. Uh, but you talk about weird setups, man. Oh my god! Yeah. Every every show itself has its own different dynamic. Yep. And you just have to just say, "Fuck it, I'm going to forge on." Yeah. Just jokes. Pretend like people are listening or looking at me, or just pretend. Yeah, well, we had one show I did in a, in, a, in a yard of a hotel, and a guy who was outside of the hotel, like, in the, like driving by, just parked next to basically the yard, blaring music. So he was blaring things like Black Street. I don't know if you guys remember, like, hip-hop in, like, the late 90s. But it was, like, this music just loud. You couldn't, people could barely hear you. And, you. and it was just there for, like, 10 minutes. And yeah. so the show kept on. And then people were just like, all right, well, uh, all right, when are you going to turn that down? And eventually he does. But that's that kind of weird stuff you got to deal with outside. I guess he didn't like comedy. Oh, you know what is the show I did in Central Park, though? I, I, I got to hear Mark Norman. He was the headliner. The guy's oh, great. nice. He was, I mean, one of the best comics I've heard in a long time. You know? Yeah, he's great. You saw Did you see what he did with his special? He actually released it on YouTube himself. Is that right? He did it at the beginning of, of the pandemic. It was actually pretty smart. I mean, he released it on YouTube. And so all the views or whatever just basically boosted his channel. Now he's got, you know, a hundred something thousand people and following his stuff. And, you know, you make money off ads and all that stuff is pretty smart. That's great. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about other, way, other tours you could do. I was thinking about the New York City Lover's Lane tour. You know, like you could go around to Lover's Lanes and and then you could do the Son of Sam, Lover's Lane. Son of Sam tour. Real, that's a real pick-me-up. 
uh, you know, <laughs> where he shot people tour, you know, you could all, all different places in the city. Now you can't even do like the restaurant tour, famous restaurants, because they're all closed. Everything's closed. But you know, people yeah. love those food tours. And you have like pizza tours and stuff like that. I've done pizza places with everyone. A pizza like, tour sounds cool, man. I like it's that. Great. It's great. There's so many good spots, obviously, in Manhattan. You know, you take them like Bleecker Street Pizza. You take them up to, uh, you know, Suprema next to the next to Penn. Uh, there's a bunch of great places to take people. Which is the first stop you said again? Bleecker Street Pizza. And John's too? Oh, was it, was well, it Bleaker, John's, isn't Bleecker Street Pizza owned by a retired NYC? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah. Yes, it, yes, you're right. Nice work, he, dude. He died from, uh, I think, 9-11 cancer. Yeah, Greenwood. Yeah. Back yeah. Greenwood. Horrible, you know. Yeah, well, did you know him? I didn't know him, but a uh, guy we had on the show, Ralph Friedman, he works there like one night a week. Oh, no way. As security there. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. They Ralph is like a famous detective that uh, we had on the show. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Well, Jack Greenwood was the, uh, he was actually in charge, I think, of the cleanup for ni after 9-11. Yes. Yeah, that's what I heard. He was in charge yeah. of the whole thing for the NYPD. And, he, uh, and then he, he retired after and he opened this pizzeria. And now his, his, bro his brother actually is one of the owners. And then his nephew as well. Wow. You yeah. know what I was amazed at? I went by, uh, I don't know, six months or a year ago, that Matt Umanoff guitars. Yeah. Who was there for like 50 years. Close. Yeah, close. I was like, what? I yeah. couldn't believe it, you know? Yeah. Talk about a historic store in New York City, Matt Umanoff Guitars. Oh, well, man, we could do a whole, we could do, you could do a whole podcast on the places that have closed in just the last three months, dude. Yeah. Like, they, the Gem Spa closed, Gem Spa and St. Mark's closed, where they did the, you know, the, the New York Dolls did their cover, you know, Madonna was there, like Basquiat, those are all the people who used to hang out there. It yeah. closed, it's been around since like the early 1900s. Yeah, it's sort of depressing, you know. It I is sort of I depressing. I don't know what the city's going to look like uh, after this is over. It's going to take a long time. I had a really cavalier attitude towards it, and now Martin freaked out. I think the comic's name was Frank Vignola. And now um, Martin freaked out on him because the guy was like, well, you know, these are the businesses where once used to be a comedy club, it'll be a dry cleaning, and then the what used to be a, a this type of store will turn into a comedy club. These things happen, and it's like, you know, he freaked out. He's like, this is our, our lifeblood here. You know, we worked hard for these businesses. So, yeah. Well, and also, too, the question is what businesses? Like, it, if, if they all go away and the rents stay high, what business is going to want to open? You know, it's going to be McDonald's and, and like, you know, and 7 Elevens. So right. that's, the, that's the scary thing to me. The scary no, thing to me. No, but the big these, corporate stores. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. So, like, these, yeah, so these big corporate stores who can take these huge hits. Right. Can, can, can open. And then all the mom and pop st stores that actually make New York interesting are the ones that, you know, are, are gone for good, you know? But I think the uh, politicians have to be a little more respectful of people in this city that have money that leave. They diss them all the time. Like, oh, you know, you better come back. We need your money. Maybe they won't come back because you disrespect the shit out of them, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, well, how do you mean they disrespect them? Well, they act by taxing their balls off oh, right, know, and, right, and yeah. saying, well, you know, we're going to tax the shit out of you when you come back because we need you to look. It's the same theory between what we what I feel is they stopped prosecuting, jumping the turnstiles. Mm -hmm. So people are with impunity jumping the turnstiles. But guess what? Now the MTA is like eight billion in, in the red, you know, because they're not forcing people to pay. And you know what their answer to that is? Congestion pricing. 
They're going to make the people coming in from the su suburbs that drive a car, they're going to tax the shit out of you to drive below a certain street. What they didn't realize is that we're going to get hit with the COVID. Right. And there's no reason to drive into the city. So your whole congestion pricing thing is going to generate cock. <laughs> and then they just put 2,000 speed cameras all along the city. Another oh, way to, to fuck the person that makes money, you know, that pays taxes. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what, though, too, another thing to consider, though, is that like the city also gives there's a lot of subsidies given to people with lots of money, too. Like there's a lot of free like tax breaks given to these giant companies and developers for opening luxury buildings. That to me is what makes me the maddest, like a, a turnstile jumper. Fine. But like that's like a buck the two two seventy five gives give someone like a, you know, a hundred million dollar tax break. That's a lot of turnstile yeah, jumpers. But if you get if you get tens of thousands of turnstile jumpers at the end of the year, it's a billion dollars, you know. That's true, but it's interesting because a lot of these like tax breaks, you look at like the tax breaks, these things date back to when the city was really in the hole in the 70s. Right. And these tax breaks were put in place to rejuvenate the city and bring it back. And so you have in the in like 2010, 2015 when the city was doing just fine, these developers are taking advantage of the same tax breaks and right. the city isn't getting any of that money for for decades if any. So that's just like the same kind of Except thing. Except at the same time, they chased that big corporate company that was coming into Queens. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they chased them away. Yeah. You know, and they I, also have that tax break for, uh, I guess it's a fair market value. So you can, um, you can hold out on renting your store until you get the, 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 whatever people are getting in the neighborhood. So you have these huge spaces. Yes, yes. They, and you're taking a loss on it, but you really, when you take a loss, you have an empty space you don't have to pay taxes on, and you're taking a loss, so you're cutting your taxes on your other properties that, are, that you have uh, tenants in. Right. So it's this whole big scam, and you have all yeah. these spaces. This was before the COVID. Yes. You have all these huge spaces, like uh, you take a Dwayne Reed, what used to be a Dwayne Reed, and now this space has been open on 50, uh, 53rd and uh, 2nd Avenue for about three years now. Well, what you're saying is a huge problem. So they, they call this actually, they call it in these neighborhoods, they call it luxury blight. So you have neighborhoods like Greenwich Village, Soho, these neighborhoods that are extremely expensive and you have uh, businesses that close like mom and pops because they can't pay the rent. Even if they were successful, they can't pay the rent. So then the landlord, what it does is because the rents are going up, they basically bet that the rent's going to continue to rise and then they pin the rent at like a higher level than what the market wants basically betting that someone's going to come in eventually and then lock themselves into emergency at a higher price. And in doing that, they're basically keeping these vacancies there. And that's damaging the neighborhood. The people who live there who have money are angry. The people who visit are angry. Everyone is, it's just ruining the neighborhood. And, and the person who's going to move in eventually is going to be a 7-Eleven anyway. So it's going, to, it's going to ruin the neighborhood in the long run as well. So it's just kind of like one of the actual it's almost like the, 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 pro, the victim of prosperity. These neighborhoods are the victim of prosperity as long as the city doesn't do something about things like that. I like that saying, victim of prosperity. Well, yeah. they, they, they say that's the problem too with um, rent stabilization is that building owners warehouse apartments because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to rent it again at a stabilization rate and they claim they're losing money and they think, you know, they'll hope that the law will change. I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, now, not, especially now, where you got like 38,000 uh, rental apartments available. 
and people bailing out of co-ops like crazy. Yeah, and they're still building and they're finishing condo buildings right now, which is nuts. Yeah, this is a big problem. Yeah, where, who knows what's going to happen with these things? Where do you live? I live in Ridgewood, Queens. Oh, cool, man. It's a great neighborhood. I've been there for like a year and a half, almost two, well, a year and a half. It's good. I, I lived in Bushwick before that. Then I lived in Greenpoint before yeah, you've that. Been, and you've I, been very nomadic in just the three or four years I've known you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill, just so you know, Bill, Mark, uh, I'm sorry, just so you know, Mark, Bill likes to make fun of me for always posting stuff about when I'm moving. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he's trying to bust my balls again. Here we go, Bill. Yeah, no, I've moved a bunch. I have moved a bunch. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, now, I just... Do you have roommates now? Or you I do. Them? I do have roommates. A very, I'm a very... Uh, it's a very rare thing to be a, a, law, a former lawyer with roommates in my mid-30s. Holy shit. But it's okay. I'm looking at all those books, and I'm like, fuck, if you got to move again, then those books must be tough Well, to first look. of all, this actually isn't my apartment. This isn't my apartment. I actually have friends' apartments. It's like a very nice, like, Soho loft. My apartment is not this nice, just so you know. I, <laughs> disclaimer, for sure. Because <laughs> those books could be, like, I'm like, yeah, you need to get one of those. <laughs> those things, um, not the iPad. That, where you put your Pods. Books. The, you know that that thing that you can you, you buy you put your books in there. Oh yeah, the Kindle. Yeah, you got to get a Kindle, bro. Those books are a pain in the ass to keep. I looking. can't do Kindle, man. I have to read a I have to read an actual solid book. I hate it, but I can't do the Kindle. I get distracted too easily. I have a Kindle, and I've and uh, I, I downloaded like three books. Never cracked Never. The, the good yeah. books. Of course, it's not the same experience, man. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't I don't the Kindle doesn't work for me. We get sent books all the time. In fact, Mark has been sent as many books as me, and he hasn't read one of them yet. <laughs> we, have, we have authors coming on. They want me, hey, did you read my book? Oh, fuck. I mean, I'm, I've got to read it. I just haven't got to He's like, I'm halfway through the back cover. That's right. I read the prologue, so far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a peri- I'm a periodicals guy. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm up to date. I'm pretty much, uh, you know, and news and stuff like that. Um, so I read a lot, but I'm just not as far as uh, fiction. Um, I, I prefer fiction, but uh, I mean, a nonfiction. Sure, I, re- I, mean, I like to read both, but nonfiction I prefer. And you know, the nice thing though, that's the nice thing about living out in Ridgewood. I live 10 stops out of Manhattan, so I'll sit on the subway and just crack a book open. It, it makes the time blow by, it's great. <laughs> You're such an intellectual. <laughs> I know, I, it really is nice. You're I mean, on the subway reading a book. <laughs> It's only Tell a point story. To get to war, see me war and yeah. peace, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just—it's—it's it's empty, but I have the cover, and people are just looking at me. in one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the perception, Bill. People have to Show know. The coffin, quiet flows the dawn. You know. That's <laughs> <laughs> my, my that's my bookcase behind me. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's all plays. It's all plays and and hats. Well, yeah, but uh, there's a lot of plays in there and like autobiographies. Those are the things, not autobiographies, autobiographies, those kind of things. Like, sure. uh, especially they're all old books too. Like from when I was, uh, you know, really doing a lot of plays and studying acting, and then it's also comedy books. Those things I'll read. If what I'm, are what are your guys? Here's a here since it's your podcast, I'm going to turn into podcast host for a second. What are your two guys' favorite books? I don't know. I, I, I like I like crime books. You know, I like to read about. Uh, Which one? What's your favorite one? I don't, I don't have a. I, I just I just read this one actually. Oh wow! About the uh, the mafia cops, uh, Ippolito and Caracappa. Oh okay. And because one of our we were trying to get one of the detectives from the case to come on the show, but these guys took part in like anywhere between eight and fourteen murders. 
And a couple the of them, actually, yeah. Whoa. A couple of them actually did, you know, themselves. They both got life in prison, but they both have died since. They both died in prison. But they were like two of the dirtiest cops of all time. Wow, that's messed up. Yeah, it was pretty messed up. Yeah. Well, there you go. You got so that's your favorite book. Well, not my favorite, but I like to read about crime. Oh, okay. Like that, you know. What about you, Mark? Yeah. What's your favorite book? I was hoping you'd skip past me. <laughs> like I said, I'm not much of a reader. I remember I really enjoyed Charles Grodin's book. I, w I wish you weren't here. Um, did you ever read that? No, I didn't read that. He's a good writer. Uh, I've, I've read a bunch of those type of books about comedians or actors and stuff like that. But um, I do. I'm, I am kind of sort of like a movie buff. Like I know I've, I've watched a lot of old movies, uh, studied them. And, and, and things like that, you know what I'm saying? So if you see a book you like, you're just like, I'm just going to wait until this gets made into a movie. No, I just <laughs> I couldn't even tell you like this. I If I go to a store, uh, uh, the store, there you go. Uh, <laughs> the general store. You know, one of those stores that sells books? What are those yeah. called? <laughs> Libraries. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's all very specific. Uh -huh. Put it this way, back in the day before the internet and stuff like that, when you needed to know, like if I wanted to know uh, when I first started bodybuilding, right? You know, I was uh, 17, 18 years old. So of course I bought Arnold's uh, encyclopedia. Then I bought every, 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 every book that I could read because you couldn't go on the internet. There was no internet to look stuff up. So you had right. to like read. So that whatever I was into at the time, I would read a lot about, you know? Yeah. Well, that's so, the crazy thing. I think with the internet now in like, in like, 15 years we'll be talking about books like they were eight tracks yeah no no you know, one's gonna you know what you know what i read that i thought was really interesting was uh i read uh keith richards biography. oh wow really and i also read uh, greg allman and oh, you know, cool. what the funny thing is i mean as talented as they are you realize what what narcissists music oh yeah oh yeah i mean it's like no one else exists except them you know yeah of course. especially greg allman he could, it seemed like he could give a fuck about anyone else but himself. That yeah. was just his old, I mean, he even, he was married to Cher. He even said, she sucks as a singer. And he told her that to her face. You don't know how to sing, you know? I always wonder about that. You, you, you're onto something, I think. Like the idea of these people who are so famous like that. I feel like you don't become that famous by accident. Like that's something that you have to have. Like it's like breathing to these people. They wake up and every decision is made to become that famous, you know? Right, so you right. might be right. Like, it's just this insane, superhuman level of narcissism. Can I explain it to you? Sure. We reach every day, um, we, we, do, we make decisions. Right. And if you're one of these people that when you're making a decision, you think to yourself, how would this impact others? Then you're probably never going to reach that level of fame. Yes. Right. Because every decision that you make, you never think about anybody else. It's always, and anybody else who's in the way of you reaching that particular goal in the meantime is expendable. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, um, the guy, he used to write jokes for, um, for all the Oscars. Valanche was his last oh, name. Oh, Bruce Valanche. Bruce Valanche. He has an encyclopedia. <laughs> I asked, him, I asked him one time, because uh, he knows all these celebrities really well. And he says, what's the difference between an A-list celebrity and like a B-list celebrity? And he said, the A-list celebrities have no idea that anybody else exists. That's correct. True. That you have to have, like a blind, uh, you know, tunnel vision. Yeah. And you live in that zone. 
and kind of it's amazing but just it, that attitude to be like that you'll you'll get people hanging on yeah you believe in your vision <clears throat> hope anyway otherwise no, you're right otherwise you're just a crazy person you have to have some type of talent to go with it I don't know, man. I think these days, especially it's easier. It's easier. It's getting easier to convince people you have talent when you might not necessarily have it, you know? Well, the Kardashians. Yeah. I mean, you got like reality TV. There's all the social media stuff. You just build a following, you know? It's specific though. It's, you have to have something that people want to watch. Right. But that, but that can be like trash. You can make trash, whatever, whatever yeah. it is. It's just, uh, you know, some of this, there's, a. Uh, a thousand videos on every single thing, but for sure. some reason there's one person that sticks out more than the others and that person gets the most views. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's that person's ability to crack the code and their ability to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and just be your face. Yeah. Whatever it is, it, it's, that's a talent in itself. You know, I was talking sure. to You're right. a comedian about um, having to perform with these uh, internet stars now which yeah. is I come across, but he does a lot of road work and how they don't have the time on stage. Right. They got like 10 minutes, 12 minutes, but they're booked as the headliner. Right. So they're always asked to, um, you know, to fill in or do time or help out a little bit extra. And, you know, the attitude becomes at some point, nah, fuck him. He's getting the big money. Let him do his freaking time, you know, or them let them do their time. But it's a different animal. Yeah, for um, sure. For sure. popular uh, on the internet or being an internet comedian yeah and stand up nobody really expects it, like stand up as an art form until they have to do it yeah you know everybody's like oh in between my acting gigs right now things are getting slow i'll start doing stand up mm -hmm. and their name draws people in but they don't really have um they don't have the material right yeah but they don't care really because but, once again well, we go back to that narcissism thing. Mark, you know? How about how about even the trend of having porn stars doing comedy? I don't know what they were really like. Stormy Daniels, she was on tour with, doing comedy. I was, but there was really no comedy. I don't know what she actually did. Well, what they do, it's like anyone else. Like they they book these people at comedy clubs because they'll fill the seats. Period. Right. And they show up. They go up there and they talk about their their cab ride to to the place. You know, for forty five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. And they, they let the, you know, they let the feature and the host do the, do the heavy lifting. And then afterwards they sign autographs and take pictures. That's what people go for. Right. Like yeah. these people from the internet, like these, these TikTok and all these people, they're like, a lot of them are going to, you know, comedy clubs and they get, they, get, they sell out or whatever, but you know, sometimes they don't have the time or whatever, but I don't know. I mean, that's, that's also, I don't know. That's the business of the comedy clubs. They have to fill the seats too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. It's I a, think some of the best shows are, are in comedy are not in the clubs. Sure. Yeah, you know, you're like, right. you, like you had a show, a bar show. At yeah. Coco on Thursday. That was a great show. Yeah, you know? it was fun. And the, that's not a comedy club. It's you and, and your partner running the show and doing yeah. a great job, right? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it'll come back. That's, that's something I actually do miss a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, we got to do it too at like the Bowery Ballroom and got to do some cooler venues and and whatnot, and, and you know, you just kind of work on it. We did it for like four and a half years, so it took a little time. Yeah. What's the name of the show? The show is called Let's See What Else, and the place was called Poco in the East Village. It was on 3rd and B. 3rd and Avenue B, that's right. Yeah. I mean, he actually put me on the show a few times. Yeah, you well, did it one once. Time I, one time the whole front of the uh, audience was loaded with millennials, 
and I did all my millennial material. The first thing millennials are pieces of shit. (laughs) The first thing Bill did was when he got on stage, just started making fun of millennials. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, who brought their crazy uncle here? What's going on? (laughs) They're like, who is this guy? They're like, you millennials are the worst pieces of shit in the history of this country. You know? (laughs) Yeah. But no. about this but have you been getting up lately uh, a little bit yeah i've been doing some of the the park shows some of the like a uh, little there's one uh, there's one that was really fun uh, this hotel in brooklyn and they do like the rooftop shows and stuff i've been doing a few here and there but to be quite honest it's hard it's hard to get into the flow of it not doing it as much as before you know yeah talking about the eastville uh no no there was another one it's uh, uh it's this guy he runs it in uh, at this hotel in bushwick um off of right off of broadway there and is in the yard there. That was a fun yeah, one. Yeah. Um, uh, Hotel RL. Yeah. Well, um, Eastfield does a show there too. Yes, they do. They do. You're right. I did. I did that one. That was nice. That, there was a couple of shows that I've done that have actually been very, very close to. Yeah. Like, they're like. Yeah. Really, you wouldn't really tell the difference. The only thing is a little. It's not as crowded, and the seats are a little bit more separated. But uh, I've I've been fortunate to do some like, what seems like normal shows. Yeah. But when you write new stuff and you haven't been getting up to practice it, to see if it works, you're a little reluctant to try it, right? Yeah, I agree 100%. That's, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's hard to get into the groove of stand-up again because you don't have a place to try out the stuff you want to talk about. Right, right. So you're not really writing new stuff. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of got to get up more often. So I, just, I've written some stuff, but I, I haven't tried it in front of a live audience. Right. You know, and, and then, then when you finally get the opportunity, you don't want to try it because you don't want to waste that like precious opportunity doing new stuff the whole time. So you're like, all right. You're stuck in a hole because you got this new stuff that is basically that one joke that you have. And what you do is when you have that one joke, you're going to do it on stage a couple of times. And all the other ones that you think might be good too, you'll try those on, you'll add those like barnacles and you'll keep building up on that one joke that you had until it's a bit. Yeah. You don't have that opportunity. So you just no. have that one joke. Yep. So you're doing that one and then you're doing another one and then you're doing another one and you're going out, you're going really literally going through five or six premises in 10 minutes. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That are eventually could be bits, but you don't have a chance to work them out or you could do old stuff, which you don't remember. That's true too. Right. Yeah. Because you don't have the rhythm. You don't have the rhythm of connecting the jokes, right? That's yeah. how you remember is connecting the jokes, the different jokes, right? Yeah, the, the old ones, uh, you don't want it. You don't feel like doing them. But I just ripped through six new jokes. And uh, the other day I had to do 45 minutes, which was, that was pretty interesting, you know. And just every single setup is, is different. It's like for uh, 30 guys that are in front of me. And then it's streaming to like 280 other people somewhere else. Because last year I did it, and it was 500 people in a VFW. And this year they can't all be together, so we did a 30 dude. So you're performing for 30 guys. And that's one set of material, but you also got to be conscious of the fact that there's 280 other people that paid to watch this. Right. They're they're at home. So like, how do you, like, I don't know how they're reacting to this, uh, chauvinistic thing just to get these drunk guys to keep laughing and then plus if you're be interacting with somebody or they're heckling you have to repeat their part for the people at home right 
Otherwise, what you're saying makes no sense. Oh, he just said this right now. So now, blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, he just said this right now. Yeah. <laughs> people actually commented afterwards. They were like, wow, that was pretty good the way you let the people at home know what the other guy said. No, that was smart. That was, that was smart to do. To this guy, they can't hear him. Yeah. It's like someone asking a question from the audience and you can't, the audience can't hear the question. Right. right. They don't know what the hell he's asking. Right. Well, then there's also at least you have some live people in that because you get to you get at least like live feedback when you do the Zoom shows. It's even oh, yeah, they're tough. They're really it's even tough. tougher because you get you I mean, like a lot of times you get nothing. Right. You have to pretend. Yeah. You a just kind of, of pretend. A lot of it is acting. You know, you're working on your timing. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know what it's like to do the joke, to deliver the joke. So you just do it and you pretend yeah. like and you give the pause and the beat for the laughter. You know, I did a, a Zoom show. And Judah Freelander was on it. And uh, we had pretty, a pretty decent audience. I think it was like 21 people or 25 people watching. So you got all the little boxes. And he was doing crowd work, which was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, they, they had their volumes up. So he can ask them, where are you from? What do you do? And then, you know, he was doing crowd work. And he did crowd work for like 30, 40 minutes on a Zoom show. It was amazing. That was, that was one of the better ones. That's yeah. his whole MO, though, is doing crowd work even right. in live, right? That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of his act is uh, doing crowd work, but I mean, he's not, do they're not, it's, it's an illusion. They're jokes. He has jokes. Yeah. yeah. He has like things prepared for everything. He leads them into um, believing that it's crowd work, but he's, you're leading them into a joke. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the hopeful, the thing everyone's hoping for is that pretty soon clubs will be open again and, you know, rooms will be able to, exist again and whatnot and we'll see what happens yeah i don't know about that man because this whole old, old indoor thing what i think is going to happen is you're going to have a lot of outdoor venues with heating the tents yeah. and the, um which will be fine it's what's you, the, know, what, you know something it's really expensive to use those propane heaters those things cost well i have one in my yard that goes through like if you use it for a bunch of hours it goes through like a tank of propane like you wouldn't believe you know, how, how much is a tank of propane? Like $22, $25. Oh, okay. You know, so if they, if the, if the venue has to have four or five of those, just think about how much, you know, costs a lot of money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see, man. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how long all this lasts. It would, I mean, it, it's, it's, it would be nice to be able to just perform regularly again. Yeah. Bikes right now, the Hasids, they don't want to fucking follow any rules. God bless them. If you see arguing in the street with them, show me the numbers. I want to see the numbers. I, every I don't know what you're talking about. So I, what is it I should wear a mask for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got tested positive in the morning and negative in the afternoon. What are you talking about? Show me. You know the video, uh, Tom, what we're talking about? I haven't seen it, no. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a Hasid. He's in Brooklyn, and he's uh, supposedly some type of activist. So they're trying to do a press conference. And he interrupts it and he starts asking questions, but he's not really asking the question. He's asking the question and talking and they keep trying to interrupt him. No, 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 no. Wait. And the guy, whoever's talking behind the mask, he keeps saying, no, let him go. Let him go. Just let him go. <laughs> he's going to run out of steam, but the guy won't. He won't it's great. It's oh funny. man, that's great. So New York. It's so Hasid. It's so, it's so New York, man. <laughs> you know that's that's another interesting tour man you take them to see the sids oh, oh yeah. yeah i mean whenever i'm in williamsburg i'll go i'll pop in a little bit to south williamsburg and show people how different it is down there you tell them this is our amish <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a different world over there for sure jewish amish, <laughs> jewish amish. 
Jewish Amish. I love them, man. I love how insulated they are. I, I love that they don't really have to. Um, I admire that. I, I think they, there needs to be more of that. Everybody needs, you know, you know, one of the things where I grew up, my New York, was people when you grew up in the Bronx, Mark. I grew up in Queens in Astoria. Queens. But people went to work and they did all their dealings with, um, you know, whichever other race they had to deal with. But then when they went home to their borough, wherever they lived, they lived in a neighborhood that was predominantly theirs. So they were right. almost like, you went to a store or you were, you were Greek, you know what I'm saying, or Italian. Then you, if you went to Woodside, you were Irish. If you went to Elmhurst, you were Spanish. So you didn't have uh, so much dealings with, it, just, it was just at work. And you could behave yourself. You could hold on to it long enough before you started motherfucking like every other, you know what I'm saying? You waited, yeah. like my grandfather got home and took off his shoes and put on the news. That's when he'd start. Oh, look at these fucking monkeys. You know what I'm saying? Look at these fucking, you know, cursing everybody out, you know, but he saved it all day until he got home and fucking cursed the TV out and all the crime and he fucking, yeah, it was, it, that's, that's old New York right there. Archie Bunkers. George Jefferson's. Well, you know, let me ask you something. And Tom, you're a, you're a smart guy, and I know you're, um, you know, uh, you're more of, of the liberal persuasion. Why, why do ethnic groups and racial groups seek to live with their own people? Well, I think what you're talking about, especially when it comes to immigrants, that's a pretty like easy one, I'd say, only because when you're coming into another country, you you want to you want to like ease into the country too, you know. So like, and, and if you look at any of the big, like, like little Italy, you know, uh, Chinatown, the big Elmhurst, you're talking about these neighborhoods that are predominantly one group. Those are all either recently arrived people or people who came in, in mass. You know, little Italy really doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. I'm talking about historically back in the day. Yeah, you no, for sure. For sure. But when it did exist, it, yeah. it was created because people were coming all at once. And they wanted to arrive and, and kind of figure them, figure things out a little more easily. Like they didn't know the yeah. language. They needed people to help find them jobs and places right. to live. They knew somebody. It was all kind of organically created. Uh, and I think you still kind of have that. Like you have this like comfort. You have this sense of like, you know, uh, uh, of, of being able to kind of be yourself and have more. Like even now, for example, in Chinatowns, a lot of the other Asian countries go to the Chinatowns to live, even though they're not Chinese because they feel more at home there. So like Koreans. Well, there's, there's an area of Queens, the 109 precinct. It's all Asians. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of Chinatowns in, in, uh, in like in, there's still some neighborhood like uh, Washington Heights Dominicans. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you go to the Heights, there's a good chance that you know some of the Dominicans just got here. Right, or in, or in Elmhurst. You were talking about Elmhurst. That's a lot of the Mexican population. I mean, Mexicans are the fastest growing ethnicity in New York City right now, uh-huh. and a lot of them live out there in Elmhurst uh, because there's other Mexicans there. I mean, you go to like Corona Park. Go to Corona like. Corona, like over there at uh, Flushing Meadows Park. If you go over there, like on a weekend, it's all Mexican people. It's all Latin American, Central American people just, you know, playing their volleyball and hanging out. You, you think you're in a different country. It's a pretty amazing thing. No, it is. They cheat at volleyball, though. They, they, don't, <laughs> they, don't, they don't do the right to dig. You know how they're supposed to do Yeah. This? They do this. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I want to go in there like a referee. <laughs> they're not allowed to do that in this country. Maybe oh, man. You have to do the correct dig. Or else it's no good. Oh boy, this is the this is turning into volleyball police off the cuff. <laughs> I don't, right you know what I'm talking about. You've seen that. I do. I do know what you're talking about, actually. <laughs> Brighton Beach with the Russians. Yeah, Brian Beach with the Russians. I was just there like a week ago. It's a pretty yeah. awesome place. English people in Greenport. 
Well, yeah, Polish people and Green Point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it, it also depends on the time in history you're at, like what, what groups are coming in, you know? And then you have small segments too, like in one area. So for example, in Astoria, if you go by um, 36th Avenue, it's all Brazilian. Mm. From 31st Street up to Steinway Street, you can get really Long great. Long tan and young and lovely, the girl from Mississippi. I'm sorry. See, didn't I warn you? <laughs> <laughs> you uh, him. You How him. can I tell her I love her? Oh boy. Have you ever Maybe been to Brazil? guitar player knows that song. You know yeah, that You went to Brazil. That was You've a been big... to Brazil? Yeah. It's a pretty awesome place. Yeah, I was a kid though, man. We we uh you know, we were like nineteen years old and uh we probably shouldn't have went to another country. <laughs> <laughs> we got locked up. Don't tell me you gave a tour of uh, Rio. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's my next stop. Got, that's my next I tour. tour of the Rio jails. That's what I got. Yeah, the fa the favelas. Yeah, man, we got but we we got into like a couple of all you know because we were like uh, these. Uh, I grew up in Astoria, so we we got into a couple of fist fights over there, and we got uh, chased, and and um, it was interesting. It was interesting. Wait, you, so you went to you went to Brazil just on like on vacation? You got arrested? Yeah, me and my three friends from Astoria. Whoa! What, so what happened? Where's the story here? This sounds interesting. We just, uh, everybody was going to one, we went to spring break the year before in Fort Lauderdale. And the year after that, we just decided we wanted to do something different. We were gonna, so we went to Brazil. Don't ask me why. Wow. And we realized we're going to another country and here we are, we got these big fucking chains and nugget jewelry ready to go out. And everybody was like, no, no, bandidos, fuck them, you know? And uh, we turned around, we brought the shit back. We're like. You got yeah, they don't fuck around over there, man. They'll kill you. They'll cut your head off. Wait, so what happened? So they they, they, they try to rob you? Well, yeah, we the, they try to rob us. They try to set us up. A lot of things happening. We we got into a fight on the beach over a chair. An actual fist fight. Yeah, we got jumped. What? Grounded. Yeah. But don't forget too, man. And you know what the funny thing is? Is like everybody knew we weren't from there for some reason. So one night we got dressed up and we're walking to this bar, and it's an outdoor bar. Just the way we were walking, everybody stopped and they fucking looked. Like who are these guys? Like you know what I'm saying? And we didn't know the language. It was a big, you know, the best part of life is mistakes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, when everything yeah, is perfect and everything is comfortable, you're never gonna remember it. Yeah. When everything is fucked up, you can remember every detail. That's true. That yeah, is true. As long as you walk away from the mistakes unscathed. <laughs> you walk away with a knife sticking out of your neck. That mistake wasn't so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you got a shiv in your neck, things didn't turn out too good for you. Yeah, I think that's a, bu I think that's a bumper sticker somewhere. Yeah. Mom said, don't go anywhere. A knife could end up sticking out of your neck. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Bill. Maybe, maybe you should take a trip to Rio, Bill. I don't know. I heard the police there when they catch robbers, they just shoot them in the alleyway. Is that right? Oh yeah, my that's God. what I heard. They don't mess around in Brazil. Well, I would imagine, if you got money on you, it's always about money. You know, one time they took us in this little... Um, it was like a military out, uh, like a little, like, it looked like a police station, but it was more like a hut. And that's where the soldiers, you know, would go and do their paperwork, I guess. Mm. And they were writing shit in the sand. We want $1,000 a piece from you. And I'm like, we've been here for, we're leaving in two days. We don't have $1,000 anymore. 
So we all had to give him like a hundred dollars a piece. It was four of us. So it was like 400 bucks. Somebody had to go to the fucking room to go get it, bring it back. Otherwise they weren't going to release us. <laughs> so you got, wow. So the police got money from you, huh? Yeah. 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 That's what they do. And they like, so, so my parents are Nicaraguan and we go visit family all the time uh, over there. And every almost, I mean, I've seen it multiple times. They'll pull you over because they know you're not from there. The cars have rental things or whatever. And they basically come up to your window and they'll take your, 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 your driver's license yeah. and to get it back. You have to pay a hundred bucks. It's like, I have to have my license to fly out of this country. You know, I need my license back. So, right. or passport or whatever. So you, you're basically bribing you. People don't realize, you know, you want to defund the police and you want to get, um, everybody's going to have a different type of uh, security in the neighborhood. That's what it's going to become. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. That's uh, that That's whole thing. Exactly what happens to these places? They used to, a lot of them had a country and they had uh, law and order, and then they abandon it to follow some different type of uh, form of government, and then they lose the benefit of having law and order, and that's what steps in. And some of these countries have law and order, but it's disguised as law and order, but it's really just corruption. You know, uh, you, you yeah. get you gotta pay. I mean, it's a weird. It's a, yeah, it's a weird thing going on in those countries too because everyone is just so poor and everyone's so desperate, including the police officers. So it's just like complete free-for-all. Everyone's just going out to get what they can, you know? Yeah, yeah. Listen, if you live in a place and you're watching um, you know, all these people with money driving around, uh, you can either join the, join the group or you can live poor and eventually they're going to kill you. Because you want <laughs> – so – You've got to build the wall. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no you know what's the ironic thing is that they build a wall around mexico and mexicans are the best wall builders in the world <laughs> no one builds better walls than mexicans here we go mark just ducked out for that mark just ducked out immediately after that i just had to try that joke again i used to tell that joke a long time <laughs> I'm so fascinated by these New York tours because I'm thinking to myself, what can I do from, in you know, I just lost, here's something that's really funny. I worked in the police academy as an actor and I used to do, yeah, it was a great job. So now we lost the gig. It got defunded. The irony is <laughs> none of the cops lost their job. Just all the actors, which I'm the only retired guy. All the other ones are just actors and the clinicians. So the people that they, they defunded had nothing to, you're not cutting into the police payroll at all, really. There's still the same amount of cops. Right. You just got rid of all the civilians. <laughs> Doesn't fucking make any sense. Well, but yeah. that's the thing they always say, they, the cops need more training, but then they won't pay for it. You know what I mean? And to, to, to train cops, you got to take them off the road. So now to give them training, you got to stay off of patrol for eight hours, 10 hours, two days, five days, whatever it is. They're not willing to do that, you know? You know, I had this, uh, this, this idea. I thought to myself, you know, if you really think about it, uh, law enforcement is like a blue-collar job. And then now where well, we want to take away uh, substance abuse, um, homelessness, and EDPs, mm -hmm. emotionally disturbed yeah. people, we want to take them away from uh, the police and have social workers dealing with it, which is fine. No cops really want to do those jobs anyway. But now, so what are you going to do? You're cutting into the police budget to hire academics. That's all you're really doing. So, and now to get these academics around, 
you're going to have to first when the police when the radio call comes over somebody's have to going to deal that it's a non-violent situation who's going to do that the 911 operator no they're going to send a squad car there they're going to find out what happened oh this is a non-violent situation you can call over the clinician who's going to bring the clinician it's going to be another squad car yeah two cops are going to come and babysit the clinician while they're fucking doing their paperwork and asking their questions so now you just wasted four cops to make sh- to pay one clinician and they're going to need like five, 6,000 clinicians. Yeah. You took away from the cops' budget so we can pay academics to be on the, ci- the city's teeth. And you're really just increasing the workload, double, triple the amount. So good luck. Go have it. Yeah. I mean, there's also, though, there's also the, the taking that money and putting it into existing institutions, whether it's mental health institutions, all these things that don't have as much money as well. They're already, they're already there, and they have their, their structure. They just need a little bit more help. That would be, I guess, another possibility. Obviously, you could have create these separate positions that are sent in with the police, but there's also existing institutions that could use a little That's bit. After money. the fact, after we deem that this person needs some type of treatment, then mm-hmm. they're going to go through that route. What you're talking about, so you can build up those two. But don't forget, you know, you're you're not really cutting down. You're never going to cut down the amount of cops because at some point, you know, it's it. Look at just where we're at right now. And we're really not that low on numbers yet, you know, but also too, don't forget, it's a way of uh, getting money out of the federal government to basically pay for your police departments. Mm-hmm. These cities, they want to uh, trim the municipality so they have more access to the budget. So why not get the federal government to give us money for our police department? Because now the, if, if, if this guy Trump wins, he's going to give you money to fix up your city but he's going to give it to you in a, a thing where most of it's going to go to hiring police officers. That's the way you're going to get the money. Well, you know what it is? It's also efficiency because like when you talk about EDPs and mostly disturbed people, they have cops bringing these EDPs to the hospital and then the cop has to sit with the EDP sometimes for eight or 10 hours till the doctor decides to admit this guy or not admit him. But so think of how, what a waste of, manpower that is you know well who's going to deem him violent right. who's going to deem the person violent you know the best story tom these are these are the best stories you ever hear in your life mm-hmm. okay it's the it's the uh you bring an emotionally disturbed person to the hospital and then you bring him inside the room to meet the doctor and then you always get this one doctor they usually knew by the way they look a lot like you <laughs> and they always go as a compliment they always go. They always go like this: uh, a young, handsome co- uh, doctor, but with the little long hair. He's still, you know, he's still a little radical. You know, he's still wet behind the ears, and he go. He'll go to you, officer. Don't worry about him. You can uncuff him. You don't have to stay in the room. And the officer will always go, "Are you sure?" And then the doctor will go, "Yes." So you uncuff him. You leave the room. Five minutes later, you hear this: "Help me! <laughs> help! Help!" And all you hear is boom, 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 ow, ooh, ow, ooh, help! Yeah, no, I mean, be that in medical school. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, I, I think one of the things, though, I think one of the things that gets lost, though, is I, I mean, there are some people who are saying, you know, abolish and all this, but I think a big, a big part of the conversation has to do with, with diverting funds or just thinking about places where there's help needed as well that contribute to crime, that contribute to inequality, that contribute to these problems that aren't being addressed. Whereas, you know, the police force, let's say, is getting a, a lot 
where, where it could be getting less and these other places still need some as well because they're also contributing. Well, I'll tell you this. A lot of people think that all this stuff, because it's the first time the general public is hearing about this, but mm-hmm. CIT, for example, crisis intervention tactics, that's something mm-hmm. that was developed. It's a three-prong approach. The officers come to training, they learn about different types of mental illness, and in the afternoon, they, they get involved in a scenario where they actually have to deal and identify what type of mental illness they're dealing with. All this is so you don't shoot a person. Uh, Those are the two prongs. The third prong was supposed to be what I mentioned earlier, where at some point you're going to have a clinician, whether it's a borough clinician uh, who's going to sit in the borough and wait for calls uh, that are nonviolent for an emotionally disturbed person, uh, substance abuse or homelessness, and you're going to bring the clinician there. The third part never got any traction. I don't know whether it was legally, they couldn't figure out who would be responsible if this person got hurt, God forbid, or whatever it was, they, th- that third part never got initiated. Maybe they were holding it for this situation. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they were holding it for a bigger thing, but the idea was what I just told you, a three-prong approach. And the last one never got um, installed. Yeah. Well, it's just like they called, they, some genius was talking about sending social workers to shootings, you know, the shooting after the shooting occurred. Suddenly they called them violence interrupters. You know what they would be? They would be shooting victim interrupters. That's what they would be, not violence interrupters. I mean, whoever thought of that idea has to have the brain the size of a parakeet's ass. You know, I mean, (laughs) just a moron. Well, let's have some violence interrupters to a shooting, you know? In all fairness, you know, a lot of people don't realize the different dynamics of different like neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So you could even talk to somebody who's a New Yorker and they live in Midtown or they live in the village. And then you're trying to explain to them the mentality of what it's like to live in the projects and how your next door neighbor stole your, your work boots and how you saw your next door neighbor wearing your work boots. You know, you left them in front of your door so they could dry off. And now you see them and they're like, yo, those are my boots. And he's like, nah, man. So you call the cops, and then the guy tells the cops, because this happened to me. Nah, I saw him in the hallway, man. I thought somebody threw him out. Well, where? This person's door. And he's like, I don't know, man. It was just laying around. So I'm like, you know, (laughs) could you mind giving him back? Because they use so much for work. Like, I'm trying to, (laughs) you know, know, like be like Solomon in this story right now, so I don't have to arrest this guy for stealing the next-door neighbor's shoes. And they said, this is the kind of mentality that you're dealing with. And a lot of people don't understand. And I'm giving you like a very mild story of stupidity right now. Yeah, but Mark, then the rule of the street is the guy whose boots were taken, he's got to cut this guy. Yeah, I mean, the guy was... He's got to do something or else he's a punk. The guy was trying very, very hard not to do that. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to hurt this guy really bad, but also, you know, he had his own family there and stuff like that he didn't want problems with his neighbor and uh we got the boots back but it's like you're talking about stupidity man it just you can't imagine the stupidity and just the asinine things people will do to each other in well, the living in those yeah. it's just like we talked about this a million times you go to a shooting and a guy's wounded and you go what the guy look like i don't i don't deal with the police 
I'm going to take care of it myself. You know how many times we've heard that over our police career? I'm going to take care. Don't, don't, don't take care of yourself. We, we get paid. We'll take care of it for you. No, no, no. I, I, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't rat. Snitches get stitches, that whole philosophy, you know. So you're going to shoot him, and then you're going to get caught, and you're going to do, you know, five to ten in, the, in, in upstate, you know, instead of letting the police take care of it, you know. Or, you, you know, the stupid reasons why people get killed is a tough thing to get grasp, you know, to wrap your hands around. You know what I'm saying? You, you would think that your life is worth more or that you're not going to die in this fashion. I used to do a story about, in my one-man show, about how this, um, this guy died over broccoli. There was an argument over the Chinese guy putting the, the, the broccoli in the wok with no gloves on. The girl was pregnant. She calls her boyfriend upstairs because the guy was mean to her. He comes down. He's arguing with the Chinese guy. The Mexican guy left that made the rude comment. Now this other guy who happens to be like uh, a neighborhood icon, some coach, you know, that fucking coach kids forever. He's like, ah, relax. I was here. It was no big deal. Shut the fuck up, man. Ah, man, you don't have to talk to me like that. Boom! Kills him. Wow. Where was that? Out of town? What you're saying? No, it was in Harlem. Oh, shit. It was over broccoli. <laughs> well, there's no rhyme or reason to, uh, you'd think that, you know, you're, the way you're going to die is going to have more, more meaning, more romance to it. You know what I'm saying? And a lot yeah. of No, you're right. I mean, you're right. Listen, there, it's not, it's not an easy thing for sure. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I think like there's a lot of nuances and things going on in neighborhoods and things that, that cops do. I, I do think though, one thing is that a lot of aspects that create, let's say the criminal environments like you're talking about people being ignorant or whatever these are things that that are rooted in let's say you know substance abuse problems education problems uh you know single parent homes i mean there's a million things going on in these neighborhoods that could also be addressed as well and i guess the discussion is coming from that place it's like where could we put funds and kind of spread them around a little bit more so it's not just like because you're talking about funds i'll tell you this you want to spread funds around when you take the, um, the fear away of losing your, your home mm-hmm. because you're not working, or you take the fear away of, of not of being hungry, uh, then you, you kind of sort of have to get on your game. You have to get a little bit off. You have to do enough substance that you can make it to work tomorrow. When everything's coming in, you know, every single month, that's when, the real, that's when you, you get the two, three generations on, on public assistance you know, the substance abuse that we're talking about. So I don't really know, like, how much these uh, – I understand programs. Welfare was started out – you know, somebody told me once when I was a rookie, I got my check, and it was like one of the – I couldn't believe how much taxes mm-hmm. that they took out. I was bitching. And the fucking guy mm-hmm. who was driving, the, uh, the veteran cop, he goes to me, hey, if I told you give me $15 a week, uh, I'll guarantee you a job, would you do it? And I said, yeah, because that's what your taxes are for, welfare, job security. What he was saying was half the population here in New York, if you could get public assistance, you will. They're not going to be fighting for your job. That's what you're giving them. You, you know what I'm saying? So there's that mentality, too, that it kind of sort of destroys. Um, you need a little fear, a little flame underneath. Listen, your- it destroys motivation. That's yeah. Right. 
I mean, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, but I think that that motivation comes from other places as well. I mean, you want to talk about like education. You want to talk about like, once again, like you have substance abuse problems in these neighborhoods. You have single parent homes. There are other things that would lead to having that mentality where it's just free money, just free money or whatever. I think it sometimes comes out of a place of ignorance much more than some kind of human nature thing. Because I imagine if, you know, like any of us, we're, we'd still look for something to do. We would still look for, you know, a way to be productive, a way to like, you know, have some kind of satisfaction. Uh, and I think that comes from a, you know, a place where we've been educated. We have some kind of a good head on our shoulders for whatever reason. A small percentage of the ones that are living there have the, uh, you know, the 42 to look. Exactly. You know? But that's the problem. And that's what, there's different reasons why it's a small percentage. And that's where I think that should be, it could be uh, addressed. You know, it's like, uh, you don't need no man. You know, just have the baby. We'll get more, we'll get money. Yeah. So now you don't need a husband because he's going to fuck it up. Because now all of a sudden you got a family and you're not going to get the assistance that you would get if you weren't married. So there's a lot of that attitude too. Sure. No, I'm sure. And that's the, that's the question is where does that attitude come from? It's like this, this attitude is, is cultivating a certain type of person. And a lot of times it's criminals as well. You say, where does that attitude come from? We yeah. stop these people working. The average, per the working people. The working people we stopped mm -hmm. and we gave them $600 a week plus $400. They got $1,000 a week to stay home. And in three months, they got so used to that. When their job opened up again, they didn't want to go back. No, I'm scared. So you see how easily you can turn somebody around within three months. Sure. The yeah. free money infected these people and they couldn't get fucking back to work. And it's still out there. Yeah. But there are some people, there are some people who had that effect. And then there are others who, yeah, they got the assistance and they, they are going back to work or they are finding other ways to make it work. And you, and I guess the question is why are some people different than others in that regard? You know, is well, it education? I, I, is I it, think the working poor are much prouder and much better off than people that just want free shit. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. The working, poor the working poor are struggling, but they have pride in themselves. Whereas the people that are getting free shit, part of their life is a hustle too. They're, they're getting the free government shit and they're also selling drugs and doing other shit, you know? Take a whiz, man, I'll be right back. <laughs> Mark just left us. How did we, how did we morph into this uh, when we initially started what, with talking about your tour guide business? Well, I imagine you guys talk about this kind of stuff a lot, right? I mean, it's kind of what's so, going on. I mean, well, you know, a lot of this whole thing, uh, got political too over this whole the right yeah of course the well you know what to me to, to me the most the, i mean regardless of what people think to me the most depressing thing is people's inability to talk about it with each other yeah you know, from whatever side that's to me what what the most hopeless and sad part about is because you know throughout history in the united states like we've everyone's had differences you talk about it and the the better idea or the the com combination of it rises to the top but now people just can't talk about these things no. and that to well, me is the most unsettling politically you yeah, talk, a conservative can't talk to a liberal because they're going to get a fight. They get, they get yeah, a fight. I think that's. I think to me, to me, that is the scariest thing about what's yeah, going it on. It is. It is scary. That yeah, is very scary. Because I, it's fine to have a difference of opinion. I think it's healthy. You, I mean, no one wants a tyrant on either side. Yeah. I but think that, the, that's why there's elections, and that's why there is the democracy. You know, and, exactly. But that's exactly right. I think people have started to throw out the idea of democracy, and they're just like. 
I mean, look, I, we, we have our differences of opinion. I think the important thing is to focus on a way to talk. And I mean, hopefully that we can get back to that place, you know, but uh, it seems kind of like. You know, Tom, we, have, um, we have two people coming on our show Monday. And one of his, one guy's name is Pat Russo. Mm-hmm. He's a retired sergeant. And the other guy is, is an Irish guy. He's from Dublin. And both of them work really hard with kids. Mm-hmm. Pat Russo is working with, uh, uh, he runs the PBA Kids in Boxing program. Oh, cool. You know? And uh, James Mooney is a celebrity photographer and groomer. And he goes into in the city and helps kids that are in gangs and tries to help them get out of it, you know? So these are two people that are trying to do something about it. They're not yeah. people that are just screaming about, this is the problem, the cops suck, this, but, but they're, yeah. they're actually trying to, and that's the whole thing. Maybe these multi-million dollar athletes should just shut the fuck up and do something about it. Same thing with these A-list actors. Go ahead, go help. Let's help. You know, let's do something about it. Let's not, you know, just talk shit about it. Yeah, well, and also, to be fair, like, there are some actors who go about it the wrong way, for sure. And there are some, like, let's say, athletes who are doing what they can. I mean, sometimes all you can do is, is make, like, look at Muhammad Ali, for example, like what Muhammad Ali did. I mean, his, he, he really took a stand and, and people at the time were saying, why don't you just box, do your thing to stop, you know, poking your head in what you shouldn't be poking your head in. And in hindsight, we can see him as a hero, you sure. know? And I, but there's less and less Muhammad Ali's and there's sure. more and more, you know, a lot of these athletes, they can't see that the big money they're making from China is horrendous. Cause look how China treats people. Look at the human rights violations in China. But yet they're here waving yeah. the flag against our government. But meanwhile, they're yeah, getting $100 million a year from Nike. And Nike's got some kid making $0.32 cents an hour making those sneakers that this guy's making $100 million a year. Hey, Tom. Right? Yeah. Tom, Tom, do you know uh, Joe Richardson? No. Well, his father lives in China. He produces the shows out there in Royersford. Oh, okay. He's a great guy. I, I got to hook you guys up. Um, Anyway, his father lives in China. So, you know, his father comes here and he, I talk to him and uh, he, he loves it there, man. He says uh, they're thriving economically. He said it's a pain in the ass if you want it. There's certain things you can't get on the internet. Um, so, for example, if he called, like I was on the phone with him here and he's in China. And, you know, if there's certain words that you could say you get cut off, you just call each other back. Wow, really? Yeah. And there's like some- what? What word? I don't know. They monitor everything. But okay. other than that, he told me he's fucking great. He fucking loves it. He said that he's making money hand over fist. The food no, he's, he, he's not everybody, Mark. I mean, I mean he's, a white, he's a white man living in fucking China. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Sting is an Englishman coming to New York. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> Even right. a song about that. I'm an Englishman in New York. I don't know what our global perception is right now, because if you really wanted to uh, uh, share the footage of our riots and all, they, you, if you were in another country, you'd think it were falling apart here or we're ready to be overthrown. So what's the difference between our riots and China's riots and anybody else's fucking riots? We don't know what's going on over there. We don't know. We really don't know. This is a perception. This is a, the, we're, we're being told China's bad, China's bad, China's bad. And I don't know. I don't know. There's people over there. They're fighting between um, the mainland and the other land. And, you know, uh, for example, that shooting that happened over there, that was a boyfriend that um, got pissed off at his girl. The one thing that led to all the fucking chaos over there again. 
Mm-hmm. And he was explaining the case to me, and it made a lot of sense. It's like, here's a boyfriend who goes over and kills his girlfriend. She goes back into the mainland, and then he runs back over to where he lives, and they can't fucking touch him. It's like, no, you fucking kill this bitch over. You got to fucking, you got to pay the price. And they won't let him, they won't let him uh, be uh, tried or persecute, prosecuted because he's in this other fucking, he crossed the fucking river. It's like if I committed a crime in Brooklyn and now I go to Queens and they, no, 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 you can't talk. <laughs> Everybody in Queens is like, no, 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 leave him alone. He killed his fucking girlfriend. So you don't know, you don't know what's really going on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Neither do these basketball players. We're asking these kids to pick a side. They're fucking kids for crying out loud. Yeah. We're getting them involved. You know, we're being, everybody's a pawn right now. I just want to perform. I don't give a fuck. I just want to perform. That's it. That's my life. I don't care. Yeah. We're little pawns. And, and, the, and the police department is used, you know, you're, you're the, the one unit that's being used as a deflection for everything that else is going on. Every time they say, Oh, this guy stole this and this guy stole. Look at how bad the police are. Look at what the police are doing. Uh, yeah. Killing people over here. They're so evil. You know what I think they should do? I think they should take the entire New York City Council and put them out at the next riot. Let them stand there. Let them have shit thrown at them. Let them get people spitting in their face. Let them well, stand there. See how their politics change, you know? Look at the council in Minneapolis. Now they're saying, well, I didn't really know what to fund the police men. And I thought it was an idea. We didn't think we were really going to defund them. So now they have to go back and revisit this because they're being overwrought with crime. And uh, you see what happens, man. People with money bail out. And, and what, who knows? Maybe it's a real estate strategy. I, don't, I, don't, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I really can't because... In New York City, you used to be able to get a brownstone in Harlem for about $100,000. It's a completely dilapidated piece of shit. Nobody would do it. And then all of a sudden, the people who did that, they're, they're selling it for $4 million. Yeah. And why did that happen? It happened because the neighborhood was shit, and then it got great. And guess what? Now it's going to go to shit again. So we have a turnover in real estate. It's another fucking thing you could investigate or think about. Yeah, that's the time for Bill to time for you and Bill to buy a off the cuff uh, brownstone. That's right. Police off the cuff have all meetings there. <laughs> it's a changing. You think it's a changing of wealth, but the wealthy is still stay wealthy. Well, that's the big problem. I think one of the big problems in our country is that is power is just getting concentrated in in few hands, and the middle class is shrinking. Uh, yeah, it's kind of scary. It's I mean, middle class, man. Yeah, and all the billionaires that we're getting. I mean, we're, we're going to be ruled by billionaires. Yeah, that's a big problem with the uh, what happened with our um, capitalism is that we have such a small percentage of people that have the money. Yeah, and people are manipulating our media. Yeah, and you know you have to think to yourself, well, maybe they're putting out all this shit so they hold on to their fucking money. Well, there's a big theory that, that the, all this division between common people, whatever, is good for them. I mean, we're, everyone's busy fighting between liberal and conservative. Meanwhile, the people at the top don't give a shit. Right. They're like, as long as I'm getting money, it doesn't matter who's in office, you well, know? Look at, look at the, what the three big ones are now. What is it? Apple, uh, Google, Facebook. Amazon. Yeah, and Amazon. These, these companies... They could, they're going to run governments. They pretty much do already. I mean, like they, they basically, I mean, you look at a lot of these companies, they fund both sides of the aisle. Like they give money to Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone else is fighting between saying Republicans are evil, Democrats are evil. 
when these people are basically like they have their hands in all of it, you know? Well, if you think about um, the future and, and, and um, the people that are going to be unemployed just because your job is going to be obsolete. Cars can drive themselves. Yeah. Truck drivers, all these other people. What do you do with them? You know, I forget who it was, but he said, this idea that everybody has to work is obscene. It's absurd. Not everybody has to work. If somebody comes up with an idea that uh, could feed everybody um, for peanuts, then we don't all have to work. Right, but the difference is it's not feeding everyone for peanuts. It's feeding everyone for the same prices, but all that money is going to the five guys who own all those robots or whatever. My point is this, though. When you're sitting home, who's going to send you your care package on a daily basis? You're going to sit there with a menu. Yeah. You're going to pick out what you want to eat and they're going to send it to you. It's going to come the drone. You're going to take your lunch and you're going to go, you're going to go back to playing your virtual reality or living in your virtual world in your yeah. fucking cubicle. That's an apartment. And that we already got used to living like this right now. Yeah. COVID. You know what I'm saying? So it's not going to be so hard for people. You know, we're social beings, but we're getting socially disattached with it. Yeah, everything. for sure. You know what I'm saying? No, you're hundred percent right. We're all, I mean, that, that whole idea of like people being detached and like, you know, it, it, it turns everyone kind of inward. It's kind of sad, less social. Well, that's the movie 1984. I just watched yeah. it a couple of weeks ago, man. And uh, it's so, so it bugs out because it's like, yeah, it's happening, right? It's happening. I've actually never seen the movie. I've only read the book. That's one of my favorite books of all time. It's an amazing book. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had it for high school, I think. I, I might have skimmed through it like the bat. <laughs> Read the back. I read it, went halfway through the back. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have George Orwell come on next week, and Mark's got to read that book by then. <laughs> I think Bill just wanted to show off that he knew it was George Orwell. That's I knew who wrote it. <laughs> show how educated I am. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was one thing. Product of the state system, you know? There you go, baby, That's New York. Community buff state and CUNY, John Jay, you know? That's very impressive. At the beginning, we were getting all these books from because uh, we were getting authors on the show. So we'd get a book, and then like I would try my best. I would start reading it, but you know I'd get like you know twelve pages in. I'm like, this book is great, but the interview is tomorrow. You know, so <laughs> I started a lot of books. Oh, I just, too late. That's right. We do. We do get sent a lot of books, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Mark, we're like uh, an hour and thirty five minutes into this. I didn't know if we'd. Uh, Went by quick, man. Look at that. that. We, covered, we covered a lot of ground, I think. I think we solved most of the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's usually what happens when three comedians get in on a Zoom. That's right. Tom, you're a great guest, though, man. And if you need, want me to do like, uh, that murder tour with you. Oh, of course, dude. I'd love to have both of you guys do some yeah, videos. Which ones we're going to do, you know? You know, the, the reason why I was uh, picking your brain with the thing with tour was because I'm going to need some other employment. You said that test is pretty easy. I know the a lot of people take it. I think the problem is right now, uh, Mark, is there's not a ton of tour guide work. That's the no, big... That's, yeah, as, as we start building up again, whatever, yeah. it's definitely something that I would love to do. Dude, I'm telling you, it's the best job I've ever had. Like, you, you really, you're performing yeah. in a way. You can, you can try your jokes and goof off. And, and also, you meet people every single day. You're talking about... I love about, that. I'm the people the person. I it's love the best. Yeah, you would be great at it, dude. You would be great. People, at it. And I love talking and uh, and I love New York, so it's a perfect yeah. Dude, you would be great and people would people would flip for a chance to like do a tour with a former NYPD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's definitely yeah. something fun. 
a slam dunk. You know what's funny? Before we go, I just want to tell you something. The reason why this whole show and everything that started with all this police off the cuff shit was because I was driving around with this uh, detective. He was, Bill knew him. He was a Manhattan North detective, homicide detective. He was a powerlifter guy. Uh, and uh, he was a little bit old and he was about to retire. And we're driving through, um, when I say old, I mean, you know, for a police department. Yeah, you've got to get out when you're 63. Yeah, yeah. He but he was in phenomenal shape. And we're driving, through, I'm driving him. And, you know, he's just going like this. He goes, oh, this is, uh, somebody got killed on this corner here. And he knew the date. Yep. Time. Next block. Oh, some, somebody got shot right there. Yeah. That, that name. And he knew, and I'm like thinking to myself, this guy is a computer. Yeah. His brain is a computer. He knows all these homicides. What a shame that this guy's going to retire. It's just like Jerry Seinfeld when he said, uh, where do the jokes go? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where do these stories go? Where does this information go? Yes. And that's how me and Bill started working on the podcast because all these people have these great stories and they're retiring or they're retired. And why do they have to go and just die off somewhere? Let's memorialize them. Let's get them on video. Let's You're hundred percent right, dude. And that's what's so great about like all the mediums that are available to us. You have the YouTube, you have the, you have the podcasting, all that. That's the reason I got Bill on that video we did. I met Bill at an open mic at the stand. Right. And we would just go to the same open mic and I would just keep going there and I was just listening to Bill. And I was like, this guy's great. He's hilarious. But he's also got these incredible stories. And I think Bill had just started stand-up at the right. time. Yeah. And I was like, I just got to get this guy on a video. So we, we did exactly what you just described. He drove, he, we drove around, and Bill just pointed to this corner. He's like, oh, I found a suitcase full of body parts here. Uh, the, <laughs> the landlord paid her sons to kill some guy here. And all this, I'm just like, what is going on? This is crazy. So I just had to get him on a video. It was the best. Yeah, when then me and Bill did it, we drove around, and we shoot all the places we used to get food on the arm. Yeah, <laughs> I used to go over here. I get my dessert over here. Then I get my rice and beans over here. The chicken was good over here. You know, the guy he was talking about was almost like sixty-three years old, but he was like a bull. You know, he was. He came in one day. He goes, you know, Sanji goes. I was lifting today. I had three sixty-five on the bar. My shoulder gave me a little twinge. I gotta stop lifting that heavy. <laughs> Jeez, three sixty-five. Get out of here. Yeah, he could bench four hundred five. This guy. Good Lord. I was a bodybuilder for years. So when I, when I come up, I know power lifters, you know, he's basically sitting like this in the, in the seat like this while we're driving around and his suit fits kind of like weird. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's, yeah. Oh yeah. He's, oh, yeah. He had, he had monstrous all it's an off the rack suit. So he has to buy like, like a 54 jacket. And he's really like, uh, like, uh, like he's just, he's just, it doesn't fit his head. He's like, uh. oh man, that's the best. But we have to plug the Patreon uh, for anybody who's still tuned in for uh, who's still with us after uh, an hour and a half. Um, don't forget, we have the Patreon. We uh, we're looking for people to help us out so we keep this show moving and growing and production value and and all this stuff. Uh, we got to get an engineer because poor Bill over there. He's <laughs> I don't know. Man. I don't know what happened tonight. It just drives me crazy when that happens. You know. But uh, thousands of people watching now, we're gonna get hundreds, you know. Well, what's the what's the police off the cuff uh, Patreon? Is police off the cuff on Patreon? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we have uh, a police off the cuff. Mark Mark does one on one with Mark DeMeo, where he gets a guest and interviews the person. I do real crime stories where I'll have a detective 
or someone that's been on the job and they'll tell a real case. They'll tell a real story of what happened. And these are true real crime stories. And our Patreon, you, uh, OTC pod one at uh, Gmail, right? Is our, uh, but you can get on OTC pod one slash police off the cuff. No, actually it's patreon.com slash police off the cuff. And we have three tiers. The cheapest one is called the bucket. So if you want to be the bucket, that's $7 a month. <laughs> the next level is polish my rack. That costs nine bucks. And the premier number one level is dipped in butter. And that costs 11 bucks a month. And everyone wants to have them dipped in butter. So that's, what you, should, that's what you should aspire to join the dipped in butter level. <laughs> this, this week I have a great guest um, from my, uh, my one-on-one. And his name is Timmy Hall. He's, an, he's a hilarious comedian. He was a cop for 23 years in Baltimore. He's been on BET's Comic View. He's been on Def Comedy Jam. And he's got a lot of really, really funny cop material. I just put put, uh, put our interview up on Patreon, and uh, he's he's uh, he's still doing the cop material right now in the middle of all this. And he said it's going great, so he inspired me to st- maybe start doing my cop material again. Yeah. But in the meantime, I want to thank Tom Delgado. Yeah, thank you guys, man. It was so good to hang out with you guys and talk. Um, and just I haven't seen you, Mark, in a bit. One of the you're one of the best comedians I've met. I mean, human beings comedians I've met doing comedy, you know, a lot of comics are good people, but there's a lot of dickheads out there too, you know. Yeah, you're right, man. It's like anything else. We were just talking yeah, about yeah, that. It's, it's like anything else, but you were, you were you one know, of those guys. You know? Guy, you know what I'm saying? I mean, obviously you're a lawyer, but you're, you know, you can, um, you can hold your own. You don't have to, you realize that even though we have opinions and uh, that we not be, may not be a hundred percent right. And it, that's yeah. the way life is. You need, uh, you need, I like, arguing i like you know changing ideas with people not so i can force my idea down your throat but just so i can hear what you have to say it might change yeah. my and well, it's important he, man it's important he's done he's done research on everything though if you really call them on it he'll say i have this he'll even quote the, the page you got it good well you know it's, it's super important just to have these kind of conversations man i think that's one of the scariest things i was just telling this to bill the scariest thing is that these conversations aren't being had At best, you're just having people yell at each other about stuff and no one's listening to anything. Well, you know something? It's like a lot of these millennials, they get triggered and they bitch out. You know what I mean? I've had it. I've seen them. They they just go, they trigger and they get, they get. asking these young people to be informed about politics when they want to live their life. So they're going to learn whatever they have to know. So they feel like they're on the right side of the history. And that's it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I want to fucking have fun. I'm a fucking teenager. I'm a college student. What do you keep asking me questions about politics for? I never had to deal with that at such a young age. Nobody gave a shit about politics until, I don't know. It's just, it, you know, for me, it's recently. But anyway, uh, Tom, I'm going to hit you up for, uh, I want to know more about the um, the sightseeing. And I want to. Yeah, man. I think you'd be great. I think you'd be great. You should definitely do it. Uh, I would love to do it, man. I think that's my new, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about and it. It's like, good money, too. Finally, there's something I want to do. And obviously, yeah. I'm going to have to learn more about New York. I'm going to start reading up tomorrow. Yeah, man. Well, just let yeah, me know if you need it. You see that fucking building over there? <laughs> hey, this guy jumped off the building two years ago. <laughs> now, give me money. <laughs> I'm going to hit you up because even if it's the most, uh, the, the basic travel company, whatever. and just Yeah, well, dude, right now would be the time to learn all the stuff because you have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. I'm going to look it up. All right. All right. 
Thanks for tuning in, man. Of course, Thanks. man. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. It's good to see both of you guys. And hopefully we'll bump into each other again at a gig. Uh, in sure, the man. Future. Fingers crossed. I look forward to it. Tom, All right. Great having you, man. Guys, thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys both soon. Bye-bye.